To be a disciple is to be salty, and to be salty means to be shaken out into the world, if the world is to benefit from the believers, the disciples' saltiness. Let us pray. God, our Father, we are grateful that your word is true, that it is transcendent truth, that it is eternal. And I pray, Father, that this word and this passage of Scripture, even this one verse that calls us how to live as we relate to the world, that it might impact our hearts even today and in the days to come, that by faith we would be more and more what you have called us to be in your word, and that we would live more and more as you have called us to live, not of the world, but in the world, for Jesus' sake and for the furtherance of his kingdom, we pray. Amen. In our current sermon series, we've been looking at the portrait that Jesus paints of his disciples in the Beatitudes, what the disciple is meant to be. And after describing what his disciple is meant to be, Jesus then turns to how his disciples are to live in the world, how they are to relate to culture. And of course, very familiar passage of scripture, they are to be as salt and as light to the culture. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, beginning with verse 13, we'll read through verse 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And we trust God, the Holy Spirit, to revive us this morning with his word. You may be seated. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed to his heavenly Father. This prayer is recorded for us in John 17. I would, of all the prayers in the Bible, this may be one of the most precious prayers for God's people as Jesus pours out his heart in prayer for us. And one of the things that Jesus prayed in this prayer in John 17 is this. I do not ask that you take them, my disciples, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. In light of the struggles and difficulties that we experience, as believers living in this world, 
Maybe you have been tempted to think, boy, I sure wish Jesus had prayed this. Father, take them out of the world. But our Lord didn't pray that. He prayed just the opposite. And he prayed for our protection in this fallen, broken, warring, and messy world, especially as Satan tries to trip us up. Protect them, Father, from the evil one. This begs the question, in light of Jesus' prayer, that, Father, as you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world, though they're not of the world. What is our responsibility to the world? What is our responsibility to culture? What is our responsibility as we live in Little Rock, Arkansas, and even in West Little Rock, Arkansas? Simply, we are not to be on the shelf or remain in the shaker. We are meant to be shaken out and used up in the world. Today we'll consider the, what the disciple and how the disciple is meant to live in this world, what our influence is to be in culture, and our influence is to be that we benefit the world as salt. Verse 13. And we benefit the world as salt as we live consistent with what Jesus has called us to be that we've been studying thus far in the eight characteristics known as the Beatitudes, verses 3 through 12. And so today we'll look at the, the disciple living in culture as salt. Next week, we will consider the disciple living as light. Now, Tom said I got on him for only having a two-point announcement. should have been three. I came under conviction. And so I decided to preach a two-point sermon this week, came under further conviction, whittled it down to one point. Tom, one point. Salt. The disciple is meant to get off the shelf, to be shaken out of the shock sacred, into the world. Renee's paternal grandfather died and Renee's father discovered in Renee's grandfather's shop, he was a great craftsman, beautiful planks of walnut wood that had been planed and sanded and ready to use but they had been sitting there on grandpa's shelf for many many years and Renee's dad said my dad had this wood for years but never wanted to use it because it was so nice we can be like Renee's grandfather's walnut wood never being used up, choosing to remain on the shelf and not get off the shelf and get out and engage culture 
If we're not out in culture, we will not be a benefit to culture. And as we see, and as we will see next week, if we're not out in the culture, we will never be a light of witness to culture of Christ himself. As disciples of Christ, we are not meant to stay on the shelf like that would. We are meant to be influential for Christ and for his kingdom in the world. Engaging culture. Not being of it, but being part of it. For Christ. We are to be shaken out. Jesus said, you are to be as salt is of the earth. Well, Jesus' description of salt losing its, its saltiness is really the key to understanding what he really wants us to know about our relationship to culture as his disciples. Now, our table salt is sodium chloride. It's very stable. I dare, sir, I dare say most of us have packages of salt, maybe even the, the Morton salt little cylindrical container uh, we've had probably have some of that that goes back a year or two it just simply is very very stable it retains its saltiness for a long time so what did jesus mean by salt losing its saltiness that's not our experience but it was the experience of jesus's jesus's day in palestine the salt often came from the region of the dead sea and salt from that Dead Sea region in the first century was very, very contaminated with impurities. And it would very quickly degrade into what amounted to a pile of dust that was indeed worthless. The imagery of Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth and salt losing its saltiness is understood in, in two ways. First of all, impurities degrade the quality of the salt. This is true of the salt in Palestine. And by the way, it's true of Jesus' disciples today. Impurities, sin, in the disciples' life degrades the disciples' ability to be salty in culture. We need to take great care in acknowledging our sin, in repenting of our sin, and in receiving Christ's forgiveness and pursuing righteousness. Because being salty depends on are there contaminants? Is there sin in my life? And if there is unrepentant sin in your life or in my life, we will not be salty in relationship to culture. It's as simple as that. We will be a salt that has lost its saltiness. But secondly, a loss of saltiness may be that we choose to remain in the salt shaker. We choose to remain on the shelf 
and not be shaken out into culture that we choose not to engage the world as Christ's disciples. Dead Sea Salt would eventually degrade. It had a very short shelf life. If you bought it at Kroger, it would be stamped with a very short time frame, used before. And guess what? This really is at the heart of what Jesus is getting at in verse 13. He wants us to get out in culture as his salt, as though we had a very short shelf life date, that our expiration date is like next week. Get out. I sense Jesus having an urgent message here to his disciples. Don't be like that Dead Sea Salt, sitting on a shelf so long that it degrades and the only thing it's good for is to be thrown out and trampled on. And brothers and sisters, with a heavy heart, how much does that describe you and me? That we fail to see that we're like a Kroger package of salt that has a very short shelf life and that we need to get off the shelf, get out of the shaker, and get to benefiting culture as Christ's disciples. We are not to be like Renee's grandfather's walnut wood, shelved, waiting, never being used, never really benefiting anyone. A disciple is meant to be shaken out. A disciple is meant to live out the Beatitudes in the world, not on a shelf or in a salt shaker. To live out the Beatitudes in the world where the world can benefit from Christ's disciples engaging, being influential. Don't let anyone tell you that the church has lost its influence. Don't let anyone convince you that Christians are no longer impactful in society by nature, that is, our redeemed nature as disciples of Christ. It's part of our very definition. We're salt, we're light, we're influential. We're impactful. Now, the world may not appreciate it. The world may react against it. The world may call us all sorts of things, anything but influential and impactful. They may try to sideline us, but the fact of the matter is, Jesus says, you're salt. You benefit culture, church. Now, let me just pause and ask you, in this day and time, in this current environment in which we live is that not in, a, an encouraging reminder 
that Christ's disciples make a difference, that Christ's disciples matter for the kingdom here in West Little Rock and in Little Rock and in the state of Arkansas and in the United States of America and around the world. Well, how does salt benefit culture? I see it in three ways. First of all, seasoning. I think we get that, right? Food tastes better with salt, and Jesus makes the world taste better. Even though they may deny it, and even condemn us for saying it, but it does. A disciple benefits the world by living consistent with Beatitudes, and so the disciple flavors society with the satisfying seasoning of Jesus Christ and his gospel. For example, Christians, disciples of Christ, that live out the Beatitudes in relation to their marriage, a faithful marriage, benefits culture. Parents who live out the Beatitudes in the life of their family, and in their teaching and training of their children, raising up godly children benefits culture today and benefits culture in the future. Look at all our children here. It's the future. Christians who are kind to one another, kind to other people, even those outside the church, are not centered on self, but focused on serving others, make a difference in culture. And Christians who are faithful employees, they not only make the boss happy, but they make other employees happy. They further, they work unto the Lord. It benefits the company. It benefits culture. These are just some examples of just Christians being Christians, disciples, living as they are meant to live according to the attitudes in culture makes a difference influential we season flavor the world secondly salt benefits culture by making people thirsty it's a benefit people may not think it is but it is as, as salt disciples who live consistent with the Beatitudes, they are winsome as they are out in culture engaging other people. People say, why does that person live that way? Why does that person love that way? Why does that person serve that way? Why is that person, why does that person have such integrity? And we know the answer. What's the answer? Jesus, who is living in our hearts. When the world sees us set aside self and serve others, they are drawn to that. When the world sees us being honest about our sin. I think one of the greatest tragedies of the church is that Christians want to be so hypocritical in the sense that they put up this facade that we've got all the truth that when we do it's the Bible but that we're right we're holy and you are all sinful and the fact of the matter is 
we struggle with sin. And when a Christian is actually honest about his or her sin, and they repent of it, and they demonstrate fleeing to Jesus for forgiveness and resting in that forgiveness and being restored. Oh my, how that gets our culture's attention. I was just listening to a political candidate the other day. He's a candidate for Congress in another state. And he said, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. That was part of his answer to a question from a news reporter. How refreshing for someone to proclaim Christ and admit, I'm a sinner in need of Jesus' forgiveness. I'm not going to be perfect. That is winsome. The Christian who seeks to make peace even with a vile person will turn eyes. And how much of a blessing it is to our culture when we, the church, bless our enemies. The disciple makes others thirsty. If anyone thirsts, Jesus said, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you see? Being thirsty is a benefit because the thirsty flee to Christ whose living water quenches that thirst. And then thirdly, salt benefits because it preserves and it functions as an antiseptic. In Jesus' day, obviously, there was no refrigeration. And so one of the ways to preserve meat was to rub it down with salt. That salt would stop that organic decay. It would preserve. It would function as an antiseptic. And the disciple is meant to be that in the world. We can't be that in the world if we are not rubbed into the world. We've got to get off the shelf, get out of the shaker, into the world in order to function as an agent of moral preservation and disinfecting. To retard, so to speak, the decay of sin in our culture. Now, I could have probably spent just two or three minutes describing the decay in our culture, but do I need to? Are you all aware? of the rottenness of our culture. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said, it is putrid. And this is back in 1960. It's, that is salt, clearly implies rottenness in the earth, Lloyd-Jones says. It implies a tendency to pollution and to becoming foul and offensive. The disciples' function is to be rubbed into culture by living and proclaiming the gospel to the world as, a, as an agent of preservation, as an agent of disinfectant. 
Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 4. Walk in wisdom toward others, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your words be gracious. We need to hear that today. Public speech is, by and large, not gracious. Let your words be seasoned with salt, i.e. the salt of the gospel, the truth of God's word. And much of what is said in the public square today is not that. But we live differently. We function differently. We relate differently to culture. Jesus says you're salt. And part of your job is preservation and disinfection. Infection to retard the decay that is so prevalent in our world today. And we say that realizing the decay that is also in our own hearts, right? Martin Luther, as we've been observing the Reformation over the last week, he said this, salting has to bite. Although they criticize us as biters, that is, Christians, we know that this is how it has to be and that Christ has commanded us to be salt, to be sharp, and continuously caustic. If you want to preach the gospel and help people, you must be sharp and rub salt into their wounds, showing the reverse side and announcing what it is not, right? The real salt is the true exposition of Scripture which denounces the whole world and that's nothing, and that nothing stands but the simple simple faith in Christ. Now Luther's statement is very strong to be sharp and caustic. (laughs) Not us. But the gospel message is sharp and caustic to sinners. We do get that, don't we? First of all, it tells people they are sinners. It tells us the world is putrid. That's always hard to hear. It levels us that we might see Christ and flee to him and find forgiveness and wholeness. So we need to love people. We need to not let people's sin be a barrier to our engaging them, but we must engage them with the biting truth of the gospel in a gracious and loving way. That's how I interpret what Luther is getting at. And that, I believe, is part of what it means to be salt, to be an agent of preservation and of disinfectant. Sometimes just the mere presence of Christians make a difference as we function as salt. A Christian walks up to a group of work colleagues and you know they're telling some bad jokes or using coarse language and everything changes. There's a project team working there together 
on a project at work. And the conversation starts morphing into how can we cut corners here? How can we fudge here to get this done cheaper? And there's a Christian that speaks up and takes a stand. And everything changes and the group agrees. No, we need to have integrity in how we do our work. And maybe there's a study group. Some of you younger folks in school and you're part of a study group and the group starts devising ways that you can cheat on the next exam and the Christian speaks up and the whole path changes to one of integrity and honesty and honor. The point I'm trying to make is that sometimes just and oftentimes just the mere presence of a believer is influential in the world. Jesus said, I do not ask you, Father, to take them, my disciples, out of the world as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The disciple is to be shaken out, to season the world with Jesus and his gospel, to make people thirsty for Jesus' life-giving water, and to retard the devastating decay due to sin in our world. And here's the question for you and for me. Will we get off the shelf? Will we be shaken out? Will we engage culture to be, get this, used up to benefit the world? To be a disciple is to be salty. And to be salty means being shaken out into the world for the benefit of the world. As Christ's disciples, we, we want to have influence for Christ and his kingdom in the world. We want to be shaken out and we want to get off that shelf to season, to make thirsty, to preserve to be that disinfectant in culture. But we struggle. There's something in us that says, let's stay on the shelf. Let's stay in the shaker. Maybe it's fear, fear of rejection, fear of loss of something like a job or an income. We can so be like grandpa's walnut wood sitting on that shelf indefinitely, not benefiting anyone. Or maybe it's because we're complacent or we're just downright lazy. It's easier to stay on the shelf. We may value our position in society more than being salty for Christ. And probably worst of all, we simply may not love fellow sinners. <laughs> we, we may not love the lost. Unconcerned about people's spiritual state. And so we remain on the shelf. 
Well, the next question is, how can we be more what we are meant to be, the Beatitudes, verses 3 through 12 of Matthew 5, and be more faithful in relating to culture as salt, as we've been called in verse 13? And the answer to these questions is another question. You ready? Here's the question that's part of the answer to those other two questions I asked. What, or rather who, makes us salty to begin with? Answer, Jesus, right? Did you say Jesus? That's exactly right. If we want to be more how Jesus has called us to be in relating to the world, then we need to first and foremost draw life from him. We are salty because of what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, where he says that we're no longer, we, we no longer live, but Christ lives in me and my life now is a life of faith that draws on his life in me. Here's what he actually says, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you want to get off the shelf and get shaken out of that salt shaker to season, to make thirsty, to preserve, to disinfect, then draw life from Jesus who lives in every believer. We live his life. By faith, draw from it. And we will find that we not only live more like what we are meant to be, verses 3 through 12, the Beatitudes, but we will relate to culture more like Jesus has called us to relate to culture. Verse 13, we will be saltier as we draw life from him, as we live a life of faith, trusting in Jesus, confessing our sins to Jesus, believing that the one who is in us is more powerful than the one who is in the world. Living out of that life that we have been given, the life of Christ, The mere presence of a salty disciple living the life of Christ by faith will benefit culture. So if you want to be saltier, if you want to be a greater benefit to culture, then by faith, draw from Christ's life to live more and more consistent with beatitudes and with salt. But I want to end our time today with a very specific particular application to you are salt of the earth <clears throat> and it's an application that is in light of our current political process for those who do not know we're elections coming up and, and and here's the question because God's word is just not something that is irrelevant to our day <laughs> it has everything to say to today and tomorrow and Tuesday and what comes after that. 
And so how is a disciple as sought to navigate this present national election? And I've got two points, Tom. This is a two-point within a one-point sermon. And here's the first point. One's vote is a matter of conscience. God alone is the Lord of the conscience. We get this from Scripture. It's well stated in our confession. Our conscience must be under His Lordship. Our conscience must be informed by His Word. God alone is the Lord of the conscience. Thus, how we vote as salt and light should reflect a biblical world and life view. All candidates, all parties, all platforms, the House, the Senate, the administration, the judiciary, and every agency and every other part of our national, local, state, government, every aspect of it are flawed. We can pick multiple examples of how every level of our government, every candidate, every party, every platform is inconsistent with God's word. It is uniform. And every candidate and future administration and legislature will reflect a worldview. We need to understand that. Given these observations, my view is a salty Christian will vote according to his conscience under the lordship of Christ to further a biblical world and life view in our land today. Thus our vote should seek to, for example, curb moral perversity in our land, end abortion, deal with economic injustices, racial inequality, reform our nation's understanding of marriage and end same-sex. I mean, so we vote to promote a biblical world and life view as we are informed by our conscience that is governed by Scripture. But that's not the primary way that we will be salty in this, in this election season. That is part. But I believe the most profound way that we will be salt in this election, uh, election process in our land today is not about for whom we vote, but it's how we treat people after the election. Two well-known evangelical leaders, both of whom I would say most of us know and read and appreciate, disagree. Al Mohler has publicly stated that he will vote for President Trump. And John Piper has publicly stated that he will not vote for President Trump and he will not vote for Vice, former Vice President Biden. They disagree. Both, we would believe, not only as evangelicals, but brothers in Christ. And the question is, 
Who they vote for is a matter of their conscience before the Lord. But I think what is even more important is how these two men will relate to one another in light of their disagreement. And I would say that what is an even greater issue than that is how you and me will relate to others in this church who have a different political opinion than we do. How will we relate to them? How will we be sought to them and sought to this world as we navigate what happens after the election is decided? Moeller strongly defends his position, as does Piper. I heard Moeller state here recently that as he gave his very, very strong defense of why he is voting the way he is voting, at the end he said, but listen, there's something more important. This is how I understood what he was saying, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is loving one another. And that is being charitable to one another. If you want to be salt that has lost its saltiness, let me say that again. If you want to be salt that has lost its saltiness, you could do so in any number of ways. But I would suggest to you that one of the most destructive ways that you could be salt that has lost its saltiness is to get angry with one of your brothers and sisters here because they voted for the opposite candidate than you. Jesus said, be salt. And as we apply that to this election, it is that the gospel is supreme. The gospel is center. Politics is not. Jesus reigns. Jesus rules. And irrespective of who gets in the White House or who gets into whatever other office, Jesus reigns. And Jesus rules over us. And his will will be done and what he calls us to do is to season this world to make this world thirsty for him to act as a preservative and a disinfectant by loving one another even when we disagree politically by being charitable to one another even when we disagree politically I mean here we have two of uh, the two major figures of evangelical Christianity in our day that disagree on politics. So it happens in the church. But there's something more important than politics. And it's Jesus, his gospel, and that he's called us to be his salt in this world. How winsome is a salty disciple who demonstrates love for the brethren and charity to those 
as he or she navigates politics. How favorable is the, or flavorful is the salty disciple who, who puts the gospel above all, especially above politics. To be a disciple is to be salty. To be salty, salty means we're shaking out into the world even in the middle of a political election. And may we season one another and our world with the flavor, the satisfying flavor of Christ and his gospel. May we, so, may we be so salty that people look at us and they see something they want in us and they thirst for the one who promises to quench thirst eternally. And may we act such as salt to preserve and to disinfect, to retard the decay of sin, to retard the decay of anger and division and disunity over an election. To be a disciple is to be salty, and to be salty is to be shaken out into the world to benefit the world for Christ and for his kingdom. May God have mercy on us that we would be, as he has called us to be, as we seek to live out the Beatitudes, what we're meant to be. May by God's grace we be salty as we relate to the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the grace of the gospel. I thank you, Father, for the power of the gospel. I thank you, Father, for the privilege to be your disciple that flavor this world with you, O Christ, and, and your gospel. Cause us, Heavenly Father, to be your disciples, to be salty for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.